Yeah. Let's welcome Sue, eh? She comes up and shares this morning. Come on. Hi. Have a seat, guys. That's awesome. I, I said to Trent before, I went down and checked on something, and he said, that's all right, I'm, do, I'm doing my best, Sue. I've, I've taken care of all that, so he's doing well today. Wow, what an amazing day, eh? Resurrection Sunday. Who's excited? Yeah, yeah? Christ risen from the dead? Yeah. Yes, amen. So we're turning things around a little bit today, and we're doing things a little bit differently. So I'm going to share first, and then what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together, and then we're going to go into a time of praise and worship. So, we all good with that? So this is part two of my message, if I could have the slides up please. Part two of my message, A Victorious Christ. Cool. So, if you were here last week, we took a look at um, the cross and how on the cross God was in the world, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And, oh, thanks, um, Sully. Thanks. We talked about how this was a mighty work, didn't we? Which revealed, what it did was it revealed the Father's intense and immense love for humanity. And how each one of us were restored to oneness and unity with him through the cross. And we talked about how that act of atonement was actually initiated by God's love. What's John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might have eternal life. God so loved the world. And the work of Christ on the cross shows the heart of a loving father. And um, we also looked at the purpose that Christ came down from heaven, that he might destroy sin, that he might overcome death and give life to man. Jesus defeated the devil, didn't he? And he restored to us the authority that we had lost in the Garden of Eden, that we'd handed over that authority to rule and reign to the devil. Um, But Christ restored that authority to us when he died on the cross. One of the other things that we looked at was how on the cross God was cutting a new covenant, an eternal covenant that would bring redemption for mankind, for all who believe in Jesus. Hebrews 8.6 calls this new covenant a better covenant. Jesus died to establish a new covenant of forgiveness to cancel our indebtedness to the old covenant. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So he died and we died with him. That's where we finished last week. You know, sometimes, and I said I'd explain a bit more about that this week. You know, sometimes we think that he died so we don't have to die. But no, that is not true. On the cross, we died with him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 tells us, For Christ's love compels us because we were convinced that one died for all and therefore all have died. Therefore all have died. 
Jesus died and we died with him. We identify in his death and we are resurrected with him and come out of the grave as new creations. You know, we didn't die with him physically, obviously, but we died through identification with Christ. And when we accept Jesus as Savior, a, a, um, a union happens where spiritually we go to the grave and then we're resurrected with him. We're born again. What happened on the cross is that our old self was crucified with Christ. Why? So that the body ruled with sin might be done away with. So that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You know, in in receiving Christ and identifying with his death, you are no longer a slave to sin. Scripture tells us because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. How amazing is that? You know, Paul tells us this is so in Romans. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin, the body ruled by sin, might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free for sin. That's good news right there. Galatians 2.20 tells us that we've been crucified with Christ, doesn't it? And we no longer live, but Christ lives with us. In Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. If you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you died and your life is now hidden in Christ. Um, Graham Cook, who we had here a couple of years ago, puts it so beautifully. Oops. Oops, can we go backwards, guys? Why is it moving? Here we go. My bad. We have no shame here, right? (laughs) Okay, so Graham Cook says, We cannot have new life unless the old is dead and gone. Our ever-increasing knowledge needs to be, I am dead to the old and I am alive to the new. We often find ourselves dealing with the old when Jesus has already taken care of him. He is 100% done with the old and I think we should be too. What a, great, um, what a great quote from Graham, eh? You know, people, it's time to stop fighting the old nature and to start living in the new nature. This is Resurrection Sunday. If you're still living in the old, then take hold of this today, that your old nature was nailed to the cross and is dead. It's gone. Kaput not there anymore. (laughs) You know, with Jesus' resurrection, the veil was removed and Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God. He was already, of course, the Son of God, but the resurrection was its powerful declaration. Paul tells us in Romans 1-4 that the resurrection was God's proof that the Lord Jesus was who he claimed to be the Son of God. Peter says in his first sermon, Acts 2.24, God raised him up, having loosed the pangs of death, 
because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Paul also tells us that if Christ had not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. You know, the thing is that if Christ had just died, we would have had forgiveness of sins. But we have new life and freedom from sin because he was raised from the dead. When he came out of the grave, he made us into something completely new. And if he hadn't done that, we would still be trapped in our old sinful nature. But through his resurrection, he has made us partakers of his divine nature. What I want to do today is I want to take a little bit more of a look at this new and better covenant that Jesus established at the cross. Because this is the covenant we now get to live in. This new covenant, it was prophesied about by Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31. This is what it says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. You know, God tells us here that the new covenant would not look like the old. For starters, it's offered to every people and every nation. It will not be like the covenant I made with the ancestors when I took them by hand and led them out of Egypt, God is saying through Jeremiah. In other words, it will not look like the old covenant. In fact, in Hebrews where Paul quotes this prophecy um, of Jeremiah's, Paul goes so far as to say that the Mosaic covenant, what we know as the old covenant, has been made obsolete and will soon disappear which it did, didn't it, in AD 70, when the temple and Jerusalem were completely destroyed by the Roman army. This is a key verse for us to get hold of, Romans 8.13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the old one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. (coughs) It's important that we understand this that on the, on the cross, a brand new covenant was cut and established. Do you know that in this new covenant, there is no wrath? Because wrath is connected to the law, and the law has been made redundant. Obsolete, as it says in Hebrews. Do you know that before the law... So, yeah, before the law, before the old covenant, there was no wrath of God either. The old covenant was established at the Passover and it was expanded on on Mount Sinai with Moses and the Israelites where the law was given. But before this, before the Israelites came out of Egypt, there was no law. 
That's about two-thirds of, um, two of the Old Testament was pre-law. You know, that was a revelation for me when I, when I first learned that, that Abraham, um, Isaac, Jacob, these guys didn't live under the law. And the law, when it was given, was a temporary thing that was never the heart of God for the people. You know, before, um, before the law existed, God dealt with the Israelites in a completely different way with how he dealt with them under the law. Before the law was given, the Israelites' grumbling led to no punishment. Before the law was given, the Israelites' grumbling about the manna and the quail also led to no punishment. You can see those two things, Exodus 15 and Exodus 16. Also, before the law was given, a Sabbath violation resulted in a simple reprimand. But let's look at some scriptures after the law was given. These exact same things that they did after the law was given. The Israelites' grumbling in Numbers 11 led to a destroying fire. The Israelites' grumbling about the manna and the quail led to a plague that killed many. And a Sabbath violation resulted in death by stoning. We'll just go back and have a look at that again. There's before the law was given and after the law was given. Completely different um, result. Before the law was given, God um, dealt with the people in a completely different way. Now he also deals with us in a completely different way too. Why? Because the law has been made obsolete. And where there is no law, there is no wrath, and there is no transgression. You know, the promises, the types and the shadows, the symbolism, everything found in the Old Testament has their end in this new covenant. It stands alone, this new covenant, and it's superior not only in its establishment through Jesus on the cross, but in what it provides for people. It's the fulfillment of the promises that were made to Abraham and to David. And in this new covenant, we now have confidence to enter into the very presence of God. Hebrews 10 uh, verses 19 to 22 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You know, if you remember in the tabernacle of Moses and later in the temple during the time of the Old Covenant, there was an inner room called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. It was God's special dwelling place in the midst of his people. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies and then only once a year on the Day of Atonement. And after he'd made meticulous preparations, you know, he had to wash himself, 
He had to put on special clothing. He had to burn incense um, to let the smoke cover his eyes so he didn't have a direct view of God. And he had to bring blood with him to make atonement for his sins. So basically, the, the presence of God remained shielded from man behind a thick curtain during the history of Israel. But Jesus' death changed all that. <coughs> if you remember when he died, the curtain in the, in the temple was torn in half from top to bottom as the veil of the most holy um, as the veil was torn, the most holy place was exposed and God's presence was now made available to all. You know, we are not followers of an old way. We have a new and living way. It's not, it's not a renewal of the old way either. It's a completely new and living way. You know, the law of Moses, it was a shadow of what came in Jesus. I think it's important, sometimes we get mixed up about this, but the law, we need to understand that the law was not God's final perfect establishment of God's moral standard for all ages. The law is not God's final perfect establishment of God's moral standard for all ages. It was only a shadow of what was brought through Jesus. You know, through the cross and resurrection, we have access, don't we, to all the blessings of the kingdom. You know, the old covenant, it was based on a strict adherence to the law. The Mosaic law... (coughs) the Ten Commandments and all the other laws, there's more than 600 of them, had to be observed for the people to receive God's blessing. And if you disobeyed them, you could expect the wrath of God. But we need to get this, we need to understand this, that the law was only for a time, and it wasn't God's heart. It's only a type and a shadow of what God brought about through Jesus. So so if the law is not God's moral standard for all ages, what is? Essentially, the law of love. Love one another as I have loved you. This is what he says in John 13. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Under the new covenant, we have no official list of laws. We are to love as Christ loved us. That's all there is to it. You know, in the, in the old um, covenant, the command was to love your neighbor as yourself. Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus himself references the old covenant when he's asked what were the greatest commandments. But in John 13, he gives us a new command. This is what is required of us in the new covenant. You know, when, um, 
When Jesus says in Matthew, love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your mind, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like this, love your neighbor as yourself, or the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. What he's doing here is he is summarizing the old covenant in two commandments. It's a summary of the old, not a new covenant commandment. In Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, it says to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's Jesus speaking. But what has he commanded us? John 13, to love as Christ loved. He's commanded that we walk in love. You know, in this new um, covenant on this side of the cross, we're to learn to walk by the Spirit and not by rules. It's about relationship. You know, the covenant we live in with God has changed. A new covenant was established at the cross. We now live in this new and this better covenant and everything is different. And that's where the church has come unstuck so much and not realising this. Because too many of us are still living in the old covenant. Or we're taking bits of the old covenant and bits of the new and trying to stick it into the new and it just doesn't work. In this new covenant, every member of Christ's body is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. That was not possible under the old covenant. And we need to learn to walk by the Spirit where we are mindful of not grieving Him. You know, I don't, um, I don't do what Trent wants because we're married and we've got, you know, we had, had some vows and all that sort of thing. I, 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 don't, I don't do things that hurt Trent because I've, we've got a, a love relationship and I want to, in everything that I do, I want um, to honour that love and I want to show that love. And that's how it should be with Christ. It's not about rules and regulations anymore. It's about maintaining that heart commitment So we need to learn to live in the spirit, mindful of not grieving him, where we leave the old behind and where love is the guiding force that determines our behaviour, where love is the guiding force that determines our behaviour. You know, the good news today is that we've been freed from sin because of the cross and sin is no longer our master. There's no need to even look back at the old You know, in fact, the old man isn't even there anymore. He's dead. He's gone. As Graham Cook puts it, all that remains is your attachment to a memory. Listen to this carefully. All that remains is your attachment through memory to a habit which can be broken through partnership and relationship. All that remains is attachment through memory to a habit which can be broken through partnership and relationship, and that's good news. That's a word that many of us need to hear today. Our identity is no longer that of a sinner, but a saint. 
you know, obviously we still muck up from time to time, don't we? And um, sometimes we even willfully sin. But when we choose to sin, we're not living up to our, our identity, our new identities as new creations in Christ. And that grieves the Holy Spirit because he knows that's not who we are. And he knows we're not living up to our potential when we sin. And I'm confident that not one person here wants to grieve the Holy Spirit. But we need to learn to stay in step with him. And when we do that, we'll be less and less likely to grieve him with our actions. The old covenant, it was a ministry of death, but the new produces life. 2 Corinthians 3.6, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The old covenant was a ministry of death, but the new produces life. And only by being filled and led by the spirit can we live as new creations. You know, early on when we looked at Hebrews, I um, made mention of the new and the better um, promises of the new covenant. And these promises, I said, were far superior, or scripture says actually, that they're far superior to what people under the old covenant has. So what are these new promises? Here's some of them. First, our sins are forgiven. Second, we receive the Holy Spirit. He dwells within each one of us. Third, we have the promise of healing for our physical bodies. Fourth, we have free access to God. Fifth, sin is no longer our master. Sixth, we are made righteous. Seven, we are new creations. Eighth, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Ninth, we have eternal life. Yeah, you know, let's celebrate that. Let's be a whole lot happy about that. <laughs> yeah, smile. <laughs> if you weren't smiling before, you should be now. <laughs> we need to be a whole lot happy about that. Because basically there's no comparison to what was and what now is. You know, the old, old covenant was a shadow of what was to come and what we now get to live under. You know, it tells us that in Hebrews 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. It's time, people, to come out of the shadows. The new covenant gives life. The new covenant is superior, it's glorious, and it's good news. And we have been raised with Christ to this newness of life. You know, today we're going to celebrate that new life by coming together um, to the Lord's table, by taking communion together. And Jesus, he, um, he used the Last Supper as a, as a way of introducing the new covenant. Luke 22, 19 to 20 says this, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after that eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's a covenant that reconciles us to God and brings us back to unity with him. You know, in ancient times, 
Covenants were sealed by taking a meal together. And when a covenant was entered into, a sacrifice was made, followed by a meal. And this is what is happening here as we take communion. Jesus has paid the ultimate sacrifice. And today what is offered is a covenant meal. The traditional ceremony of the covenant meal was bread and wine. And the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine, it represented the body and the blood of both parties. So let's celebrate this new covenant life, eh, today? Let's remember as we take it what we've been brought into, the benefits of this new covenant, this union with God. So we're going to do things a bit differently again. Um, What we're going to do today, Trent and I and Jen and Pete as your pastors, we want to serve communion to you today. So I'm going to get these guys to come up and grab um, some bread and some wine and just to line up at the front here. And what I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to invite you to come on up and take the bread and the wine from one of us. His body and his blood, Jesus' body and blood poured out for us. And um, what we'll get you to do is just take it back to your seats and take it in your own time there just for the sake of room. But what I want to encourage you to do is if you've been um, living out of your old nature, then do some business with God before you take um, communion today and repent of that. But then celebrate the new life that is offered and the new creation that you are. You know, sometimes um, what we do is we we become so sin-focused when we take communion. Thank you. Uh, We become so sin-focused when we take communion. But in taking this communion, it's about celebrating that covenant that is being offered to us and that we now get to live in. Okay, could we just have that music on, Rowan? And what I want to do is I want to give you permission today to be happy about this, okay? You don't have to be quiet. In fact, I don't want you to be quiet. You know, we can, um, we can get a bit exuberant about this. It can be a bit messy. You know, parents, if you want your children to take communion, you can get them from the back and bring them on up. And afterwards they can go back, they can continue their activity packs or they can stay up here because we're going to have some praise and worship happening. But let's get excited this morning. Let's come on up. Let's laugh a lot, you know, while we're doing this. (laughs) You know, we can clap, we can dance. It's about a celebration, a celebration meal. So come on up.